Two Dead Girls and Jubilee contains material that may be upsetting to some audiences, including sudden loud noises, adult language, and depictions of murder and suicide. For more information, please find us on Instagram at Two Dead Girls Pod. That's the number two Dead Girls Pod. Dad went back to Mrs. Newsom's. He got pictures of Ronnie's old car. Brown paint flecks. Do they match Oscar's station wagon? Yeah. So, uh, that implicates Oscar as the other half of Ronnie's hit and run. And puts him near the place and time of Annie's abduction. Where's Liam? Present. Well, can you... Can you talk her out of this... I don't think a one-on-one with a possible killer counts as a plan. I've met him alone before. Why not arrest him? (sighs) Search his house. Impound his car. Because all we've got is circumstantial evidence and illegal tapes. We have one move. Flush him out. Get him to make a mistake. And is that the official position of the Jubilee County Sheriff? I'm gonna go buy some cigarettes. Myra. Yeah? When all this started, you you said you didn't want to repeat your father's mistakes. What's your point? Just stay out in the open. Stay close to Liam. Please don't make me come down there for your funeral. The Statue Park. I'm sitting at the feet of two time-worn figures, Jesse and my sister. Oscar's brown station wagon approaches. It's time to end this. I mouth the words at the statue of my sister, but she just stares back indifferently. Liam stands atop the next hill in a thrift shop ball cap and a Halloween mustache. He gives me a solemn nod then ducks beneath the hood of an old Chevy. He's feigning some sort of problem with the battery. It's rehearsed. It's all rehearsed. I adjust the microphone wire concealed beneath my shirt, attached to a recorder at my hip. I think of Pa's secret tapes, of how easily and accidentally I've slipped into his shoes. I still have so many unanswered questions for him. I guess, if this goes south... I'll get to ask him. Soon. Tonight's top story, a deadly storm, a missing girl, and in Jubilee, Indiana, a homicide investigation. Annabelle was this beautiful, innocent little girl. Well, beautiful is a stretch. Hang, hang on, are you recording this? We're learning a second girl, Jessica Kaplan, has been found dead in Jubilee. There was no wiggle room for gut instincts. Anyway, this wasn't anything concrete, just a confluence of coincidence. I reckon you came here for the same reason Ed did. You think Wayne Harmon's a serial killer? We ran into Oscar today. He said he spoke to Pa just before Pa died. Well, I hope they made their peace. Back before Annie, they used to be thick as thieves. This is Two Dead Girls in Jubilee. Chapter 9, Thickest Thieves.
August 16th, 1997. Pa stands at our living room window, looking out. I sit on the center couch cushion, looking in. Midway across the gulf between us, an untouched ice cream cake, Annie's favorite, melts into a soup. It sits beside a cookie jar urn containing the youngest member of the Abernathy family. Despite Pa's innocence and Ma's stirring support of Sue Kaplan at the American Legion, not a single person has come to Annabelle's wake. Sit up straight. Ma, come on. Sit up. They'll be here any minute. Archie Duncan. I'll bet anything he printed the wrong time. Has anyone seen the newspaper? I've seen it. Read the front page article half a dozen times. In the days and weeks after Annabelle's death, Sheriff Craig Donnelly did only one thing right. He managed, somehow, to maintain a veil of secrecy around the circumstances of Annie's murder. Folks knew Pa was implicated, then exonerated, and they were happy to speculate gruesomely on the circumstances of the subject. But it was the small-brained and big-mouthed Archie Duncan that finally broke the truth. The published story, which had been pitched to Ma as a celebration of Annie's legacy, was instead that of a child strangled and stripped, a father caught in a lie, a dogged search for polka dot tights, an open and shut case derailed by the death of a second girl. It was a baldly exploitative, anonymously sourced piece of quasi-journalism. But, regarding the time and place of Annabelle's wake, Archie Duncan got it right. I'm going out to the workshop. Please, Ed, stay. Nobody's coming. They're coming. We need to present a united front. <laughs> like the Air Force? I want people to see we're still a family. Sticking together. But... are we? How could you say that? Well... Just look at us. I think Annie... I think Annie was the only thing we ever had in common. And now the only thing we have in common is... is she's dead. Seems like that now. But we'll heal. Ed, tell her. Tell her what? That we're going to heal. This doesn't heal, Brenda. It won't ever heal. Ed! Edward Abernathy, come back here! Sue, Jerry, come in. Brenda, Ed, I... Oh, dear, we missed it? Oh, it's it's fine. I, I thought it was all afternoon. <laughs> yes, well... We even brought a casserole. There might have been some confusion about the time. You didn't miss it. Is that true? No. It's just a few people couldn't make it. Ed? Yeah? Those bastards. Those bastards. It's really not... Gerald... Take the car to Ernie's. Bring every soul in that restaurant back here immediately. 
and you stop at Jenkins Pharmacy too, and you tell anybody that you see that I said that, that we say that they have 20 minutes. True to Mrs. Kaplan's word, the house is soon overrun. Pa sulks, escaping to the workshop the first time Ma takes her eyes off him. But Ma, Ma is in her element. She sets up shop beside the urn, Sue at her side, and the two hold court about the future of Jubilee. Sue is charismatic, and my mother an organizer, a schemer. They make a good team. It's during this discussion that Mr. Alan Whitmayer, with bits of Ernie's famous potato salad stuck between his teeth, first proposes a lawsuit against Sheriff Craig Donnelly. Apparently, now that Pa is not a child-molesting murderer, we are once again pro bono eligible. With a stuffed trash bag as my alibi, I escape into the yard. Out by the mailbox, I spot an idling brown station wagon. The side panel is gouged to oblivion. The driver's side mirror is missing. Inside sits Oscar Stilwell. And just like years later, at a different Abernathy's vigil, he never goes inside. His eyes are black in my memory, haunted, his posture racked with grief or guilt. Or is it something even darker? Oscar, hi. What's going on? Just here for the weeds. I can come back later if you want some time with your sister. It's okay. I'm... I'm actually glad I ran into you. Why's that? I... I wanted to thank you. You donated the money for this park, right? I never knew. Well... Mama's money never meant any attention for myself. You sure you don't mind? No. Please. They'd be 30 this year, Annie and Jesse. Can you believe that? I guess. Do you think he regrets it? The killer, I mean? He must. If there's any humanity in him. If he knows what harm he'd done. If he knew them girls. Is that what you think? That he knew them? Oh. I, I don't know. Hey, what made you decide to donate that money? For the park? Yeah. Sympathy, I guess. I never had any money. Didn't know what to do with it when I got it. Could have used it to replace that station wagon. <laughs> it wasn't so bad back then. You could have at least fixed the mirror. Yeah. How'd it happen? I don't know. It hit a mailbox. A mailbox? On the driver's side? <laughs> Were you driving on the wrong side of the road? I told you I don't remember. You sure it wasn't another car? Maybe... Out on 19? I told you, I don't remember. 
Just realized I forgot my gloves. I'll come another time. Oscar! Let me tell you my theory about what happened to that mirror. If you're out for a drive, minding your own business, you see Annie walking on the side of the road. You offer her a ride, and when she gets in, things get out of hand. And that's when you clip Ronnie Newsom with your mirror. Lucky for you, he's in a bit of a pinch himself. Stop it! And so the two of you speed off in opposite directions. You never- Stop it! You got no idea what you're doing. What a dangerous game this is. The game my father was playing? Until you ended it? No. Speculating in public, where anyone can hear, anyone can see. And you're wrong, by the by. Not saying I ain't responsible in my way, but you're wrong about everything. Oscar? I think he does regret it. Why else this park? Why stay? After all these years. I see in Oscar's eyes the same black look I saw a million years ago, as he idled outside Annie's wake. But his eyes are not on me. As I turn to follow them, I see disaster. Darla Dinwiddie, preeminent jubilee busybody, has interrupted her daily dog walk to assist the mustachioed man with the hilltop breakdown. The man, Leo, is clearly exasperated by the distraction. And as he turns to check on me, everyone's eyes converge. You want the truth? I'll tell you. But I won't tell here and I won't tell cops. You want to know? There's one way. You get in the wagon. Somewhere, seems a thousand miles away now, Liam shoves past Darla Dinwiddie. I stare into the shadows of the rusty station wagon's back seat, and I remember the last thing Birdo said to me. Stay close to Liam. Stay out in the open. Inside the dark, dank car, I can almost swear I see the spinning blades of a hay baler. And yet, I also feel a certain gravity. A portal trying to suck me into the past. Now, at last, I understand a little something about Pa. About the feeling of needing to know, even worse than needing to live. I swing one leg inside. Poor Liam. I meet his eyes as we rip past, already doing 30. He'll be a mile behind by the time he starts the Chevy. He'll blame himself for this. I know a thing or two about that. Oscar turns off the main road. There's a sprawling network of forest trails in Jubilee, connecting a hundred backwoods camping spots and fishing holes. It'll take Liam a long time to find me. Too long to stop whatever is going to happen. I hope the truth is worth it. Recognize that? We're at a hunting cabin. Shingles peeling, paint half gone. 
It's dilapidated. In a way, it wasn't when I visited. When Pa's Ruger Mini 14 was as tall as I was. When I stepped into Pa's workshop, I had the feeling he was watching me. Here, I had the feeling he might grab me. The place is stuffed with him, overflowing with him. And I notice with Oscar too. There are photos of them with rifles shouldered and thigh-high waders toting fly poles and tackle boxes. Oscar standing over a wood stove squinting in a sort of embarrassed, candid way. There are also books and newspapers and coffee cups, a big trophy-mounted paddlefish straight out of the Wabash. Paul's hunting knife. Nice dull as a cereal spoon, but you can hold it if it makes you feel better. Whiskey? No. For the record, you're the first Abernathy girl that's ever been in my station wagon. If Annie wasn't in your car, why didn't you report the accident? I met your pa the same day he hitched your ma. Did you know that? No. Passed him in the breakdown lane on 19. Not too far from that dust-up you're talking about, actually. He had tin cans tied to his bumper and smoke pouring out of his hood. <laughs> Stubborn oaf, he spent an hour and a quarter playing with a radiator before he let me give him and your ma a ride. We had lots in common, him and me. Stubborn. <laughs> Tinkerers. I don't mind silence. He don't like talking. Didn't. He didn't. So, the hit and run... Was your pa taught me to shoot. Brought me out here on the weekends. I think more out of not wanting to be alone than out of particularly wanting company. We didn't do much talking. Not about... Why he wound up in Jubilee, disappearing off the rolls of the 101st with no pension. Or about his taking up down the hall from your ma just as soon as she was pregnant. Not about why he had no friends from home. No family. I didn't mind. I, I knew why. I guessed, anyway. I know, for one thing, that he was discharged from the Air Force with bone spurs and that Ma's waterbed aggravated his sciatica. Come on, Myra. You knew him well as me. You may not have had the words as a kid, but you do now. What do you remember most about him? I don't know. Flannel? Oil stains? I remember him getting folded into the back of a police car, blamed for a murder he didn't commit. And, I remember, 20 years of blank stares and cold shoulders, and finding out he'd spent a lifetime blaming me. I meant before all that. He used to leave me seashells 
Hmm. In the workshop, under that trick floorboard. You... you knew about that? My ma brought them back from Myrtle Beach now and then. The seashells. He always knew which one to fit your fancy. He used to be a good father. He loved Ma. He loved Annie. Loved me. But he was never happy. Not before, not after. He was like one of those seashells. You know, you hold it up to your ear and there's an endless ocean inside. But you look at it. Nothing but a shadow. A spiral and then dark. I guess 1997 doesn't seem that long ago to you, but that's ancient history, especially down here. People like me, like your pa, we were people with secrets back then. It was tricky for him to be a husband, a father, get along without letting on. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. You think... You think that he was kicked out of the army, that he slept down the hall from Ma, that those are all clues to some sort of puzzle. What? He was gay? I, I don't... Did you ever think he might be? I thought you might be. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have made it half as far in the Air Force as your pa. You're saying he lied to everyone else in his life and he told you the truth. Oh, no. That was the sort of thing he kept behind the door. And... I didn't push it. He was about the only friend I had. Would have stayed that way, except for this old bottle of whiskey. I bought it for his 35th birthday weekend. It rained. He poured biblical the whole summer, 97. And the second day, we didn't bother with the theater of toting guns and Sitting in trees and never shooting any deer. Just drank that whiskey most ways down to the bottom and then looked behind Ed's door. I, I remember that weekend. He had a monstrous argument with Ma afterwards. Slept in the workshop for days. He promised her he'd never see me again. Said it yourself. He loved her. Stacked against all the guilt, all the shame we've made to feel about who we were our whole lives. For him, that momentary lapse was worse. Betraying his family, that's how he saw it, changed him. Or began the change that Annie Gowen finished. Of course... He skipped our next weekend. 12th of July. The week before Annie. Actually, far as I know, he never came here again. So, I start hanging around places he goes. Start drinking. Drinking all hours of the day. Start calling the house. The prank calls. You got Annie on the phone the day she... Yeah. That was the last straw for Ed. 
He told me to come out there and have it out. And then he sent you girls to the store. Even though we didn't need milk. And he told the police he was fixing the fence, even though he already did. Even though he had a perfectly good explanation. Not perfect. It would have ended his family. Brenda was clear about that. What happened between you two that day? I was planning to make him admit who he was and to be with me. If it had just been Brenda, I think he would have considered it, running like he did when the Air Force found out. But it would have destroyed his relationship with you girls. No Bible-thumping rural justices giving joint custody to people like us. Not in 1997. Hell, they'll barely consider it now. But knowing that, understanding it, that did nothing to ease my pain. So I forced him to be cruel, trying to teach myself that something felt so natural could really never be. He obliged. Punched me right here in the jaw. Threw me out. I ain't proud of it, Myra. But I knew then there was only one way I could hurt him as bad as he hurt me. So I took off in my station wagon, half drunk and crazy, driving a hundred miles an hour. I was aiming for oblivion. Aiming to leave old Ed crying in his car outside of my funeral. <laughs> anyway. Whoa, Oscar, just just put put down the gun. I didn't bring you here to get permission just to make you understand. Wait, talk to me. Uh, please, the station wagon, Ronnie Newsom. Were you trying to end it when you swerved at Ronnie's car? No. I was going to do it here. I swerved because I saw a kitten. What? Sometimes I think that was the only good thing happened that year. I could have missed seeing them easy in the rain, and they were out in the middle of the street. Four little kittens. <laughs> but I saw them. Swerved. Just in the nick of time. Wait, don't! Hey. Get off! I won't let you!
Tear apart the pieces of our home I've never wanted to know Why you could never let go Two Dead Girls in Jubilee was written, directed, and produced by Ethan Wellen. It stars Emily Goss as Myra, Zachary Cantrell as Liam, Susan Harmon as Brenda, Michael McShane as Ed, Marcelo Tubert as Berto, John Ali as Oscar, Haley Kewen as Maisie, Carrie Gutierrez as Young Myra, Kitty Swink as Sue, original score by Kevin Hutchins, associate producer Emily Goss, associate producer Zachary Cantrell, one Eye Open was written and recorded by Andrea Perez and Peyton Widener. Don't slip back and don't fall right Thanks to Kat, Ron, The Evans, Monisha, Jack, David, and Tyler, without whom there could be no Jubilee. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. For cast bios, episode transcripts, and more, find our little town on Instagram, at 2DeadGirlsPod. That's at the number 2, Dead Girls Pod. Thanks. Two Dead Girls in Jubilee is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to real events or to persons living or dead is purely coincidental.